We are starting a new series through Genesis, and uh, you'll kind of see why I've asked you to turn to the book of Hebrews just as we, as we get things started, but we've been laying a foundation for the last uh, few weeks since the year started on the subject of faith, and we're going to continue that, but we're going to eventually turn our attention to the story of Abraham in Genesis 12. Um, before we get there, I just want to uh, set the record straight. Last week, I stood up here and announced to everyone that uh, my wife and I celebrated 23 years of marriage and uh, was very confident and assertive in that claim, only to be reminded that it was actually 22 years of marriage, not 23 years. And the funny thing is, is that we've been living this life for the last two years because last year we were telling everyone that we'd been married for 22 years. So literally, we were deceived for the last, for the last two years. I think it was Jessie who came up to me and she said, wasn't it 22 years? This is her last week. And I playfully rebuked her and told her, no, it's 23. Don't shortchange me. We've worked particularly hard uh, in, our, in our first year of marriage. And as, as funny as that is, that actually is the truth. We, we actually did have to work particularly hard in our first year of marriage. And the reason for that is Deb's, in particular, was struggling to to believe the promises of God that our marriage would be fruitful and would be a blessing because six years prior to us getting married, her parents had gone through a really difficult and surprising divorce and it left her you know, hurting and scarred and struggling to believe the promises of God. Some of the things that had happened to her in the past caused her to struggle to believe God for what he had for us as, as a couple. She's not the only one who's, who's struggled these past 22, not 23 years, but these past 22 years, because I myself have carried some of the baggage and the hurt and the, and the struggles that I've had from my past into our marriage at times. Uh, some of you know that when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a very rare and severe form of cancer. I wasn't given much hope for survival. My parents had just immigrated from England to South Africa, and I ended up being in a hospital for a number of months. Uh, about 120 miles away from where my family lived. And for about three or four months, my mom would only be able to visit uh, on Fridays, and then she would leave every Sunday afternoon or, or Sunday evening. And she told me the story when I was an adult. And after her telling the story, suddenly it gave, it gave understanding, gave me understanding to some of the struggles I've had as I was growing up. What she would have to do every Sunday night when she said goodbye, I would obviously cry and scream and want my mom close. And she said she would have to walk down the passage and she would sometimes wait around the corner for 20 minutes or for half an hour waiting for me to stop crying before she was able to go home. And what it left within me was this fear of abandonment. I didn't realize that for the longest time, but growing up, I always thought that my friendships were just going to end uh, surprisingly. And I really struggled to believe the promise of God, the particular promise of God that he would never leave me nor forsake me, that wonderful promise in Hebrews. And, and when my mom shared this to me as an adult, when I was in my early 20s, it brought such healing, and God has wonderfully restored some of that, and, and I'm walking in far greater freedom than, I, than what, you know, what I was at, at, at some point. I share those stories to say that I think many of us carry hurts and, and disappointments and, 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 and things that have scarred our lives, and we carry those into, into our walk with the Lord. And it causes us at times to be suspicious of God. It causes us at times to be jaded towards Him and suspicious of His motives at times. 
I think we tend to, to smear God with the imperfection of people around us. And we ask, I think at times, we struggle in particular with this ability to, to trust God at times. And particularly when it comes to his promises, we ask ourselves the question, how are we supposed to respond to the promises of God? And those are the questions that I hope to answer specifically today, but I hope that we will be able to kind of answer generally over the next six weeks as we journey through Genesis 12, from Genesis 12 through 22. How do we learn? How can we trust God? And how do we respond to the specific promises that God has spoken over each of us, spoken over our family, spoken over our church? How do we respond to those particular promises? And as I said, we, we have been laying this foundation um, out of Hebrews. We started the year uh, teaching on this uh, first seven verses of Hebrews, the faith, the firm foundation. And in Hebrews chapter one, we, uh, we read this. We say, we, we, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and the certainty and the conviction of what we do not see. We've defined faith as believing God, trusting in God. Faith is the thing that we do in response to the promises of God. It's, it's what we do while we wait for God to display his faithfulness. It's very important that we, we, that we, we must remember the, the faithfulness of God. And faith is our response to God's promises as we wait for God to, to, to show himself faithful as he said he would. The first thing we learned about faith was that by faith there are times we have to wait and how many of you know that is probably the most difficult part of faith? It's this at times agonizing uh, uh, season of, of being here and sensing God wants to take us there and the journey between here and there. We're going to speak about that a little bit more today. Learn about how Abraham navigated himself from here to there. By faith, we learned by faith, we, we are approved by virtue of the fact that we are hidden in Jesus and we, we look back to the cross, just like Abel looked forward to the cross, the Bible teaches us that because of our faith in Jesus, we are approved, forever approved by our Father in heaven. And therefore, that releases us, that unleashes us to, to live this audacious, courageous, almost spectacular life of faith because we know that we are forever approved. We're not trying to earn God's favor. By faith, Enoch taught us that we walk with God. That's one of the most amazing things in all of Scripture is, is not the fact that by faith we get to walk with God, that, but that by faith God wants to walk with us. God delights in walking with us. And, and through the Holy Spirit, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. And day by day, moment by moment, we get to walk and keep in step with the Holy Spirit, as Paul writes in Galatians 5. And then last Sunday, James did an outstanding job of teaching us that, uh, from verse 7, the life of Noah, by faith we are righteous. By putting our faith in Jesus, we live a life of faith. And by doing so, we show the world what it looks like when we serve another king. And what it looks like to be citizens of a kingdom that is far greater than anything we see here on earth. The kingdom of heaven. And as we live this life of faith, as we are this city on a hill, as we are the salt of the earth, as, as we are the light of the world. Not only are we righteous, but we are inviting the world into this, enjoy the same righteousness in Jesus that you and I get to share. And that brings us to verse 8 in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham. 
by faith Abraham. Many commentators would say that Abraham is exhibit A when it comes to the uh, faith. And, and James mentioned this last week, and I want to just uh, jump off and, and say this, that whenever we think of Abraham being exhibit A, or, or these people that we read of in Hebrews 11 as being members or, or inductees into this hall of fame of faith, it is particularly dangerous language and a particularly dangerous metaphor to use. Because what happens is we start to exalt the faith of these men and women, which is not the point of Hebrews 11. The point of Hebrews 11 is not the faith of Enoch or the faith of, of, of Abel or the faith of Noah or anyone else who's mentioned, and certainly not the faith of, of, of Abraham. The series that we're going to learn about from Genesis 12 through 22 is not about, Ad, uh, it's not about Abraham's faith. It's about God's faithfulness. That's the focus. And so I would suggest to you that when we discuss faith, Abraham is not exhibit A. God is exhibit A when it comes to the subject of faith. This is a series that discusses the faithfulness of God. It's a series entitled Promised, Believing in a Faithful God. Now I want to do something before we get into the text today. I want to take five minutes to explain to you the particular language that we've chosen in giving that title to the series, because not only will it help us understand what I want to share today, but it'll set the scene for the rest of the series. Promised. That's what God does. God declares promises over his people. Because God declares promises, now this is going to sound really simple, and I'm almost a little bit embarrassed to, to have to make the point, but I, I, it's a, so vital that we get this. Because it is God who makes the promises, we are not under obligation to try and fulfill them, and we can't break them. If a friend said to you, I promise I'm going to do this for you, or I promise I'm going to be there for you, what can you do to make sure that that promise comes to pass? Nothing. All you can do is hope that they will be faithful to their word. God makes promises. And so we can't break the promises. And because of who God is, he can't either. Numbers 23 tells us this, that God is not like a man who lies or like any of us who, who changes his mind. And it goes on to say in Numbers 23, it asks the question, does God ever make a promise and not come through? And of course, the answer to that is no. And the reason why God can never make a promise and not come through is because of this reason. When God speaks, he also acts. You see, God declaring things and God acting upon those declarations are one and the same thing. Isaiah 55 says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, God says, that goes out from my mouth. Just like rain comes down, and, and, be, and by virtue of what rain is, it causes there to be growth. God says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve 
what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's words complete their specific assignment without fail. God's words complete their specific assignment without fail. Let me give you an example. If this room was was dark, if if all the lights were off, and if I were to stand here and I were to say, let there be light, how many of you know nothing would happen? Of course, nothing would happen. I could stand here and say, let there be light, but then I would have to do something in addition to declaring something. I'd have to get off the stage and I'd have to walk to the back of the room to turn on the switch in in order for there to be light. But you see, here's the issue. Between me declaring, let there be light, and the time it takes me to get to that switch, a lot of things can happen. I can change my mind. The electricity might not work. Someone might intercept me and, and and I forget to go and turn on the light. For us, declaring and acting are different things. With God, he stands and he says, let there be light, and there is light. You see, for God, acting or speaking and declaring are exactly the same thing. When God, in Genesis 17, says to to Abram, now his name changes from Abram to Abraham. Abram meaning father or, or dad or daddy. And in Genesis 17, God says, God speaks over him. He says, you will no longer be called Abram. You will no longer be called father. You will no longer be called daddy. You will be called Abraham. You will be called father of a multitude. You will be called big daddy or however we want to (laughs) say that. God is declaring he's not just speaking a promise. He's not just speaking a, a, a hope or a desire. When God declares Abram to Abraham in that very moment, God gives Abraham the physical and spiritual ability to become that which God says he would become. God's actions are intimately linked to the things that he declares. What has God promised you? What has God spoken over your life? What are the specific promises that God has declared over you? I want you to remember that when God speaks his word, he is acting on that word as well. And so what is our response? Our response is to not to make it happen. Our response is to not to live in fear that we might do something to break the promise. Our response is simply this, to trust God by faith. Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Debs, by faith, Hannah, by faith, Chris, by faith, Mark. God has specific plans and purposes spoken over each of us, things that he is putting into into place. And our response is to believe a God who cannot lie, to put our faith in him. You see, trusting God's word is the same thing as trusting God because his word and his actions are inseparable. Communication from God becomes intimate communion with God when we respond with faith to the things God has spoken over us. Communication from God becomes intimate communion with God When we respond with faith, when we say, Lord, so be it. I believe you, I trust you to the promises 
that he's spoken over our lives. God promises our response is to believe a faithful God. And that's what we see in Hebrews 11 verse 8. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says exactly that. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he would, he would later receive as his inheritance. You see, there's God's promise. God is, is, has, has, is declaring an inheritance over Abraham. He is speaking it out. We're going to look at this in more detail. And Abraham's response was to believe in this faithful God. Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So let's turn, if we can, to Genesis 12. With that as a rather... Uh, detailed introduction. I think it's important just to lay that foundation. Genesis 12. Let's have a look at the, at the story. Uh, James and I are in the middle of um, doing a preaching class, and uh, those, I think it's the fourth or fifth year that we're doing it, and it's always, it's always a, a, a gr- good reminder for me personally to, whenever we do this class, is to, is to stretch myself in my, in my preaching. Those of you who've been around the church know that I love a, a good introduction, uh, nice three points. Sometimes the words um, begin with the same letter, but not always. And then a, a strong, a strong conclusion at the end. And and, and I just felt, I just felt t- today, I want to do as James would say. And James will probably be proud of this because he tells the, the 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 people at our preaching class every time, "Let Scripture do the heavy lifting." That's James's uh, that's James's con- main contribution to the preaching class. Let Scripture do the heavy lifting. Well, today, James, Scripture will be doing the heavy lifting. We're going to be looking through this passage, and then at the end, I might not be able to help myself, but I'll probably will bring three applications at the end. Um, but they don't all start with the same letter. So uh, I want you to, I say that to say I want you to pick up on the prophetic heart of what I'm hoping to contribute today. It might not be necessarily neatly polished, but I want you to pick up on the prophetic heart of what I believe God wants to, to say over us today. So verse one of Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, let me just quickly give a bit of context. The Lord speaks to Abraham, but we've got to understand the context into which God is speaking. If you have a look at at Genesis 11, Terah, who is Abraham's father, has gathered his family together, and they are beginning to journey towards the land of Canaan. But it tells us in verse verse 31, when they reached Haran, they settled there. Now, now that, when you're at first reading, you might think that's somewhat innocuous. I mean, it's, it's fairly innocent. You know, they're on the way here, but they had a change of mind. They decided to settle down. But not when you understand the context of the time. God had explicitly said to Adam and Eve, and God had repeated that same statement to Noah to, to, to go forth and to, and to multiply and to, and, to, and to expand throughout the earth. And we get to Genesis 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. It says that, that as people began to move eastward, they came across a plain and they liked what they saw and they settled there. And that same spirit of the, of the age, as it were, is resting upon Abraham's father. He's journeying towards Canaan, but he comes across this town called Haran, which he likes. And so he decides to settle down. It speaks to the, to the spirit of the day of of, of the, people, the people, even the people of God, not being able to trust God's word. Spiritually, they were barren. Not just spiritually were they barren, but physically they were barren. Because if you read Genesis 11, we quickly learn that Sarah, Abraham's wife, is, is unable to have children. And so the, the, this family line is not able to, to, 
to continue. And so into this, into this dark and, and, and very discouraging context, God brings his word. I want to say for you, friends, make sure that whatever your context or situation or struggle that you might be in, make sure God has the final say. He is famous for declaring things that are not as though they were. He is famous for giving life to the dead, as Romans chapter 4 tells us. Make sure God has the final word on your situation. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. This, this verse, honestly, I, I, I hope I can communicate this, this well and, and kind of convey my, 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 my feelings when I read that verse. But, but that, for me, is, is the verse on what it means to journey in faith. God, God says to Abraham, he says, he says, leave your country. Okay, that's great. We love the fact that God's speaking. Leave your country and then journey to the land that I will show you. No, no, no coordinates, no, no address, no like, okay, here's the GPS. I want you to follow these specific directions. But no, I, I need you to, to uproot. I need you to, to get yourself out. In fact, the original language, that's what, what the original language is. It's, it's Abraham, get yourself out. Get yourself out of that place of settledness. Get, your place, get yourself out of that place of comfort because I'm going to take you into a land that I will show you one day. Can you sense the, the, the excitement and the trepidation? Can you sense the, 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 the thrill of hearing the voice of God and the uncertainty of knowing what's the next step? And I, and I need you to, 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 to hold on to that because we're going to look at that later. That comes with being a people of faith. The journey from where we are to where God wants us to be. God needs to get us out before he can take us in. He says that to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter one. He declares over Jeremiah, you will, you will plant and you will rebuild. But before that, he says, you need to uproot and tear down. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter three, he says, we are being transfer, transformed from one degree of glory to the next. How many of you know it doesn't happen at a click of a finger? Being transformed from one degree of glory to the next doesn't just happen like that. That was kind of a cool move. <laughs> it doesn't happen instantaneously. It's a journey from this degree of glory along this, this, this corridor of uncertainty and, 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 and trepidation and, and incredible intimacy and at times loneliness. But then we break through into the next degree of, of plans and purposes that God, had for, God has for us. Myself today stands here looking back on my past self and I see that God has brought me from one degree of glory to the next. But you know what the good news is, friends? My future self will say the same thing about myself today, even though I've come so far. And it's true for us all. We haven't arrived. God has more for every, every single one of us. There is more of his glory that he wants to display. There is more of his presence that he wants to pour out. There is more uh, uh, plans and purposes that he wants to entrust to us. Transformed from one degree of glory to the next. 
Verse two, I will, here comes the promise of God, I will, and you'll see this statement made, made five, four or five times, I will, God says, make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. The promise of, of favor, the promise of, of, of protection, the promise of a community, the promise of, of having this great name, the promise of being blessed, the promise of being a blessing. And, and just to say, friends, we, we must remember that you and I are, if we have our faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us we are sons and daughters of Abraham. And this promise that is spoken over Abraham, you've got to know this is your inheritance too. God has a promise of favor over your life. God wants you to be part of a community and enjoy the blessing of being part of a nation. God wants, has, wants to, and has given us all the name that is greater than any name in all the earth, the name of Jesus. God wants to bless us. Ultimately, God wants us to be a blessing. God never blesses us to bless us. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. The question we've got to ask ourselves when we're making these life decisions is, is, is not where will I be greatly blessed, but where will I be the greatest blessing? Think about that the next time you're offered a job. Think about that before you make a decision to, to move cities or nations or whatever. You could very well need to move, but ask the question, where does God want me to be the greatest blessing? So Abraham left. Love that obedience. And as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And when they arrived there, and sorry, and they arrived there, Abraham traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, now, let me just pause for a moment because at first reading, we can miss the point. What was the promise God gave Abraham a few verses earlier? I will make, you, I will make your name great and I will make you into a great nation. What do you need to, in order to pass your name on? You need offspring. And what do you need to be a great nation? You need land. Abraham couldn't even have number one. His name is Father. Later, God will call him Father of a multitude. And yet, he couldn't even have child number one. And the land that God wanted to bring him into was what? Filled with Canaanites. Do you sometimes feel like the promises of God are just absolutely impossible in human strength? Do you sometimes feel that the things God declares over you and the things God speaks over you, there is absolutely no way in our, in our own strength that we will ever be able to achieve them? Well, that's good. Because I think that's where God wants us to be. I've often said this, but if our dreams are things that we can achieve in our own strength, I have to question whether those dreams are from God. God wants us to be at the place where we have to rely on him and him alone. And so he built an altar there. Now, this is where we're going to bring some application and then we'll be done. 
So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Three applications and then we're done. There are three things that Abraham does in response to the promise of the Lord. He pitches a tent, he builds an altar, he calls on the name of the Lord. What does the tent signify? To me, the tent signifies the journey. To me, the tent signifies that Abraham, on this faith journey with the Lord, is a, is a pioneer, that he's a sojourner, as, 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 as the Bible speaks of sometimes, that he's, that he's on this journey from, from here where he is, no offspring and no land, and he's got this sense of God wanting to take him to, to this place here, which is here. He, this is where he is here, no offspring, no land, to there, offspring and land and great name and great nation. And he is journeying along this road, this faith journey. It's a time of incredible contrast. Sometimes the exhilaration of saying yes to the Lord. Sometimes the fear and the nervousness of what have I done. Sometimes the certainty that God has spoken. Sometimes the doubt as to whether you've heard God correctly. Sometimes the intimacy and closeness with God. Other times feeling alone and asking God, where are you? And I want to say, friends, every Christian I trust, understand something of this journey that we're on. But if God has spoken anything over your life, you know exactly what I'm speaking about. And the reason I bring this up is to say, it's normal. You're okay. You're not failing as a Christian if you're struggling at times to to believe God for the promises that he's spoken over you. Because here's the thing, friends, when God speaks, when God declares things over us, something is birthed in our hearts spiritually. If we understand that God and his actions are inseparable, when God speaks his promise over us, something comes alive in our hearts. We see the future. We see what he wants to bring us into, but we're faced with the reality of here. Our weakness, opposition from the devil, the impatience that comes with having to wait. But through it all, God remains the same. And Abraham, at the end of it all, is changed forever. That's what awaits you and I, friends. God remains the same throughout, and we are forever changed when we reach the inheritance that God has for us. Christianity is not an adventure. Christianity is a quest. I was listening to this podcast, which was describing the difference between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, and they said, the Hobbit is an adventure. The Lord of the Rings is a quest. You see, The Hobbit is something that, that you, it, it's, about, it's, a, it's, it's a kid's story. It's essentially a, a children's story. An adventure is something that you, you decide to, to, to give it a go. It doesn't really change you on the inside. You have some fun while you do it, and you come back, and you live life as if nothing really happened. But you see, a quest 
A quest has a sense of call. A quest has a sense of purpose and a sense of destiny. A quest is, is something that you give your life to and you are changed forever. You see, in that sense, friends, Christianity is not just an adventure. It's a quest. Don't. Don't beat up on yourself in these seasons of uncertainty as you journey from here to there. The tent, we nearly finished. The tent, the altar. What does the altar represent? Worship. Worship. If God is the only consistent, consistent thing from here to there, can I tell you the importance of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith? And that's what the writer in Hebrews does. I love how he, he transitions out of that great faith chapter in Hebrews 11. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then he starts in verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, in the light of living by faith, therefore, keep your eyes fixed, sorry, therefore, run with perseverance the race marked out for you. The promises of God spoken of your life, run with perseverance the race marked out for you and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the one who speaks into the here and perfecter, the one who will get us there of your faith. Worship him, attend an altar, and then lastly, he called on the name of the Lord. That speaks to me of remembering God's promises. You see, to, to call on the name of somebody in biblical language means to, to call on that person as they have shown themselves to be. And that's essentially what, what the writer in Genesis is saying. Abraham called on the name of the Lord. He called on God as he had revealed himself to him. God had said over Abraham, you will, I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and you will be a great nation. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He called on God as God had revealed himself. God, you said I would be a great nation. You said that I would, I, I would have a great name. You promised that you would bless me. You promised that you would enable me to be a blessing to others. Friends, when we do that, we're not reminding God of his promises we're reminding ourselves of his promises. Psalm 43 and 44 says this, Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so downcast, O my soul? He goes on to say, You will yet praise the Lord. Give, exalt God. You will, and, and, and what the writer in, in Psalms is doing is he's saying, Soul, I'm going to lead you out of where you are and I'm going to point you to where you need to be. Remind yourself of the promise of God. How do we respond to those things that God has spoken over each one of us? Number one, be patient. Remember you're on a journey. Don't beat yourself up as you sometimes vacillate from exhilaration to fear. Being overwhelmed, being excited. You're on a journey. Number two, continue to worship the Lord. Keep your eyes on him. Number three, remind yourself of those promises. Remind yourself of those promises. God speaks prophetically over us, friends. Learn to listen to the voice of the Lord. Learn to listen to the specific things 
that he's saying to you in this season. Before we close, before we kind of go into a time of ministry, I want to just give an invitation to anyone who might be here today who does not know Jesus as as their Lord and Savior. I spoke about one of the greatest privileges that we have is to call on the name of the Lord as he has revealed himself. Maybe today God is revealing himself to you as Lord and Savior. And you know, our response is simple. The Bible teaches everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. If you're here today and you're saying, Steve, I want to know Jesus. I don't know him, but I know that God has shown something of himself to me, that he has sent his son Jesus to to die on the cross and been raised from the dead three days later, and I want to put my hope in him. I want to come to know God as my Lord and Savior. If that's you today, I would love to pray for you right where you are seated, to lead you in a prayer where you can say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? If that's you, could you slip up your hand real quick? I'd love to be able to pray with you today. Anyone want to respond to that invitation this morning? Father, we thank you so much for the incredible gift of life that comes through your son, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for salvation. And I pray, Lord God, this this message, this gospel message would, would resonate in our hearts and through us as we go and declare the good news of Jesus to our city. Father, thank you for the journey that you have us on as a church. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord God, that you have birthed something within us, this longing, this desire to walk into all that you have for us. Help us to be patient. Help us to worship. And help us to remember those incredible promises spoken over us. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.